You want it. You need it. It's what everyone's talking about. The Kevin Sheehan Show. Now, here's Kevin. All right, I'm here. Aaron is here. This show's presented by Window Nation. If you're in the market for windows, call 866-90-NATION or go to windownation.com and tell them we told you to call. Uh, guest-heavy show today, uh, Mike Jones from USA Today is going to join us shortly. Then we're going to talk to Mike Adams, who has had a 15-year career in the NFL as a safety, most recently with the Panthers for two years. Mike uh, interned for the station several years ago, and I've stayed in touch with him over the years. He's a really good guy. Um, 15-year career in the NFL. He's going to join us. I wanted to get his thoughts on Landon Collins from you know a, a contemporary, a player in the league. And then Joe B., Joe Beninati, voice of the Caps for NBC Sports Washington, will join us. I'm interested actually in um, the embrace last night between Ovechkin and Crosby that was caught by NBC Sports Washington there at the end of the game. I thought that was interesting. Uh, so we'll talk to Joe B. I personally didn't see any of the Caps game last night, Aaron. I was down in Adams Morgan um, at Songbird, a place called Songbird, listening to some really good live music, a band called Nice. Uh, they're unbelievably awesome. Uh, and their opening act, Petty War Club, I'm familiar with a couple of those band members. They were excellent last night. So I was down doing that. Interestingly, like there was one TV in the bar when I, when I walked into, into the bar. wasn't on the Caps game. It was on an NBA game. So I said to the guy, can you flip the Caps game on? Because they're playing the Pens last night. I was actually, I was legitimately interested in in following, you know, uh, how that game played out. Um, and some dude was at the bar. He was into, uh, the Spurs were playing, who were the Spurs playing last night? Whoever they were playing last night, uh, the TV stayed on that. Anyway, um, they blew a 2-0 lead. They lost to the Pens 5-3. Uh, we'll talk to Joe Beninati about that a little bit later on. I will tell you that uh, when I got home, I did watch the second half of the St. Mary's-Gonzaga game. That was a phenomenal college basketball game last night. And I know it's the West Coast Conference, and it's Gonzaga and St. Mary's, and it's not Duke, Carolina. But Gonzaga, for those of you that don't know, um, they were the number one team in the country last night going into that game. They had won 21 straight games, hadn't lost a game in league play. And in their first game against St. Mary's, they won the game by 48 points. They beat St. Mary's the first time they played them, 94 to 46. Last night, St. Mary's beat Gonzaga 60 to 47. And what was really cool about that game is that Randy Bennett, the coach of St. Mary's, who's done a great job there, totally controlled the game with his two guards. He's got two very good ball handling guards, uh, including one of the guys, uh, uh, their, their, their lead point guard. And I would call him that because the other guy's a point guard too. Their lead point guard also led the league in scoring. They controlled tempo, they ate shot clock, they shortened the game in a way that you can still do with a shot clock, and they limited the possessions in that game, and they were really, really good, and Gonzaga got flustered, um, they got out of their game, and they lost going away. They got beat in that game by 13. Now, it was a one-point game with about six minutes, five and a half minutes to go, and then it was all St. Mary's down the stretch. Great basketball game. Personally, I don't think Gonzaga loses a one seed. You think they might. I think there's a chance. I think it would have to play out properly. It would have to be Duke or UNC winning the ACC to make it two one seeds in the ACC. Uh, Tennessee or Kentucky winning the SEC to get a one seed. And then I think if Michigan State won 
you have the double champion in the Big Ten, and I think they might jump them. You know what? I don't think a Big Ten, that, that Michigan State is a Big Ten regular season champ and a Big Ten tournament champ, and it seems crazy because the two of those together normally equals a one seed. I don't think watching Michigan State, they look like a one seed. No, they don't look like a one seed, but I think they would be rewarded as one if they win the tournament. Dick Vitale was on the call last night. Uh, you know, he's now relegated to the West Coast tournament as a broadcaster. And I've gotten to the point over the years where it's really hard to watch a Vital game. But the game was so good, Aaron, last night that Vital, who's usually talking about anything but the actual game that you're watching, he was into the game. I mean, talking about what was going on strategically in the game, players in the game. Wasn't talking about recruiting classes for 2021 or talking about Duke somehow in a game that Duke's not even involved in. He was into the game. It was such a compelling watch, I found, that game last night. Part of it is just the stunning part of it. Gonzaga hasn't had a close game in two months. And here they were on... You know, the brink of being upset as the the second half was going along. You're like, hey, maybe this can really happen. And it's almost like it's not Buster Douglas Tyson. But to use that as as sort of the analogy for the way it played out, you're like, wow. I mean, they're actually hanging in there. They're not getting their ass kicked. And then it's like the, 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 it reveals itself to be actually happening. That the number one team in the country who has not had a close game in two months is actually on the verge of getting beaten. And it was, uh, I don't know, I found it, you know, I I love this time of year. I did not expect to be captivated by the West Coast final last night. It was just a hell of a game and a hell of a coached game by Randy Bennett and St. Mary's. And they're one of those teams that are now in in the draw because they've got great guard play. Two legitimate guards who are almost point guards, but that can score. They're they're one of those teams you would not want to see, and they're one of those teams that are going to line up perfectly to potentially face Maryland. In yeah, the probably, first round. yeah. Um, anyway, uh, that was entertaining last night, and then this yesterday from Stephen A. Smith was pretty entertaining. Look at the Redskins last year. They had five different quarterbacks. Alex Smith, Josh Johnson, Colt McCoy. They even got Mr. Butt Fumble himself, Mark Sanchez, okay? And some guy named Tress Way actually started one game. (laughs) Well... Um, not really, Tressway. He really didn't start a game at quarterback for the Redskins. Although, I was thinking about this. He may not have been any worse than Mark Sanchez was had he gotten the start against the Giants. It would have been hard for any of us to have been worse than Mark Sanchez was. What, 118 passer rating in his career. Well, that was funny because um, J.P. Finley, I guess, was the one that let Tressway know that Stephen A. had had uh, singled him out as one of the Redskins' starting quarterbacks last year. And Tress Way, who's got a great sense of humor and will be a media person, trust me. But maybe in this town, maybe somewhere else, when his career is over, uh, he's a natural. But his response was 118.8, as in that was my passer rating for the game. Um, so here's the issue with Stephen A., who has made – a lot of big, you know, high profile, I guess, in media anyway, or with sports fans, mistakes recently. Remember a few weeks ago, not a few weeks ago, but it's probably a couple of months ago now, when he talked about Hunter Henry being a key for the Chargers against the Chiefs when Hunter Henry had been injured all season long and hadn't played. Um, and he's made other, you know, boneheaded mistakes as well. As well. The Tress Way thing actually is an easy mistake to make. 
I mean, if you're not really paying attention, because if you are going, if you're in the midst of doing a show and you're, you've got your, you know, you've got your laptop or you got your, your desktop in front of you and you've got multiple internet, you know, pages opened. And then somebody brings up the Redskins quarterback situation and you have this thought to rip off all the quarterbacks that played and you go to their, the ESPN's uh, Redskins passing stats and there's Tress Way. He's listed with all the other quarterbacks because he threw one pass. But you'd have to go a little bit deeper to see the one-for-one. One. All you see is he played in 16 games if you actually go there. So, look, Stephen A is not a football guy. Like, he's not really even a sports guy. He loves the NBA. He's an entertainer. You know, he's an entertainer. He loves the NBA. I don't know if uh, he loves boxing. I'm not sure there's any other sport that you I've ever had a sense that Stephen A really follows that much. You know, his job on the show, um, what's it called again? First Take. First Take, thank you. Uh, on the show that he's on with First Take, which actually is not a terrible show. I mean, I know a lot of you don't like it. I, I don't watch it a lot either. But when I do, it's it's not terrible. Um, uh, but anyway, his job is just to entertain. It's to have a couple of, of hot takes and just beat him into the ground because he is supremely confident in everything he says. And so he just lets it fly. So he's going to make those mistakes. We all, I mean, I've made so many of those mistakes before. They're easy mistakes. I mean, a, a friend of mine actually texted me uh, and, and put the link to, to it. And that's how I saw it for the first time yesterday. And he's like, how does somebody make a mistake like that? And I'm like, it's not that big of a deal. I mean, this isn't life and death sports. It's like, who cares really? But in his case, he's on the air for, I don't know, six, seven, eight hours a day. He does first take, which is what? Is that a three-hour show? I think so, two or three. Two or three hours. He does a radio show for two hours. He's on TV multiple times during the day. And he's clearly not an NFL guy. I think anybody that's that's listened to Stephen A. over the years knows that he's not a big football guy. He has hot takes on football, but he's not really a football guy. So, I don't know. I don't get worked up over these things. I don't rip him professionally for being unprepared. When you're on the air that many hours, that many days, and you're thrown out a topic that perhaps you haven't completely prepared for, you know, and yes, he's probably got 17 producers running around, and they may have said, here are the Redskins quarterbacks, but he just decided to pull it up on the internet himself. Uh, it's just not that big of a deal to me. Um God, I mean, I, I guess people were really ripping him yesterday. Let's get to the to the real headlines of the day. First of all, just breaking as we're sitting here, Zach Brown and Stacy McGee released by the Redskins. Uh, according to Tom Pelissaro, NFL Network, the Redskins did try to trade Zach Brown, but were unable to find a taker for Zach Brown. So those two cuts create roughly $8 million in cap savings. So by my math, the Redskins are now back to around $18 million in, in available cap space. I've, I've seen 20 okay. as the number thrown around here. It's, it's somewhere in that, yeah. 18, I'll, we'll call it, Somewhere between eighteen and twenty-two million. All right, you, you so an play, average uh, of twenty. You, you can pay a levy and bell and a half. Yeah, you can. Um, let's get to the big news though from late yesterday, and then we'll get to Mike Jones, and then you'll hear from Mike Adams um, on Landon Collins. Uh, OBJ traded to the Browns for a first, a third, and Jabril Peppers. This deal universally has been panned by everybody talking about it last night and this morning, and everything I have read. 
I'm just going to be totally honest with you. If I had been on the air and I'm in, and without any research, without any thought to it, I would have said two things. One, what are the Giants doing? Like, this feels like a complete reboot reset. But two, I would have said, you know what? Gettleman and the Giants, a first, a third, and Peppers, it's not that bad. I don't think... I, I don't understand the reaction to the compensation that they got back for Odell Beckham Jr. Uh, it's To me, it's not a one-sided deal. To me, Gettleman and the Giants weren't taken to the cleaners on this deal. I mean, I know Antonio Brown, a third and a fifth, obviously side by side, it looks like the Giants made out really well. But the comparisons aren't fair because Antonio Brown is, first of all, four or five years older than OBJ. Secondly... Um, you know, the Antonio Brown situation was different. The Steelers were really, you know, backed into a corner and there had to deal them on many levels, although I don't really think they had to. I would have paid him the two and a half million and sat it out and said, you know what, if you don't want to play, fine. You're not playing for anybody else. We're not taking a $21 million salary cap hit. But anyway, back to, to the Giants, it was it's it's apples and oranges, really. But my point is, I don't get the reaction that a first, third, and Peppers, who I love, like I think he's going to be a great player and started to show signs of it last year in in year two in Cleveland after being a first-round pick uh, the year before that. Um, I don't think that the Giants were taken to the cleaners on the deal. I just don't. But apparently everybody else does. I mean, it goes back to what you said. The first point is, why did they do that? And it's a trade that doesn't make sense. And, And really what it's compared to is, when the Raiders traded Khalil Mack, they got a pretty good return for him. But why are you trading Khalil Mack? You know what? That's a really good analogy because the the issue. But remember the rate. I know it was Khalil Mack, a dominant pass rusher, and people thought that the Raiders, you know, were nuts for trading him. But no one was highly critical of yeah, the they compensation. Were. They were they were critical of the deal. Not like this one. Not I, like this I, one. I think I, it, I think it's a very similar reaction. Honestly, I think it's something where it's just. There's no reason to trade this guy. Like this is insane that you're trading him. Whatever, unless you got like five first round picks, they were going to be critical. It would have to be something where the people viewed the player so highly and the situation they were in that unless they got an overwhelming deal, they would have felt that they didn't get enough. Yeah, I guess. I guess to your point, um, the Bears ended up giving up multiple first round picks, right? Uh, yeah, it was two first round picks, and they also. Gave back a second or whatever, but yeah. Well, let's get to the other part of this. You know why? Well, the Giants, you know, a year ago gave him him gave OBJ this massive contract extension, and now a year later they're taking a hard turn in a different direction, and you wonder why. I I, I actually thought the Giants going into last year had a chance to be a good football team. I think I predicted the Giants and the Ravens were my two surprise non-playoff teams from the year before that would end up being in the playoffs. I was right about one, wrong about the other. But, you know, the Giants actually played well at the end of last year. I don't know if people paid attention much to the Giants after their start, um, but the Giants ultimately ended up having a decent close to the season. You know, they ended up uh, with a 5-11 and record, but down the stretch of that uh, of the season, they had some big offensive games. They 
They beat the Buccaneers 38-35. They had the Eagles dead to right in Philadelphia and, and gave up that lead in the second half. I think they were up 22-3 to or something at halftime. Um, they beat the Bears in the Meadowlands 30-27. to they, they, of course, came here and annihilated the Redskins 40-16. to um, they then went. They then got shut out by the Titans, which was really the aberration down the stretch because they lost to the Colts twenty eight twenty seven and the Cowboys thirty six to thirty five to end the season. They actually had turned things around a little bit offensively. Now they had a horrible offensive line. I think only Minnesota's offensive line was worse last year than the Giants' uh, offensive line, and that. But that's been a problem for the Giants for a while. But, you know, Engram, you know, showed a lot last year. Obviously, you know, with Saquon Barkley, you know, they were starting, I thought, to turn the corner a little bit. They needed some offensive line help. They, they, this started, though, with the trade of Olivier Vernon and the decision not to, to franchise Landon Collins, which I said last week. You know, it was sort of the beginning of what are the Giants doing exactly? Olivier Vernon was a dominant at times pass rusher last year. You know, Landon Collins only would have cost on the franchise tag 11 million bucks. And so that should have been the first sign that they were doing something different here. Now, Landon, Landon Collins should have been part of a reboot. He's only 25 years old. But I think. They thought, with the safety market being what it was, that they would be able to add a safety that was young, that was still potentially on his rookie deal, which is what they did in Jabril Peppers. You know, Peppers essentially is a different kind of player to a certain extent than Collins, um, but he is a, a another blue chip, you know, talent at safety. They now have two first rounders, uh, number uh, six overall and number seventeen overall. I think the the quarterback is obviously going to be addressed by the Giants in this particular offseason, I would think. You wonder now whether or not, and I'll ask Mike Jones about this, whether or not they've got enough, you know, to potentially trade for Rosen. You know, maybe the Giants just became the number one suitor for Rosen if they like Rosen. Imagine Rosen in New York. Um, I, I, I guess, you know... The, the surprise is that the Giants are doing exactly what I wanted the Redskins to do this offseason, which is basically punt on 2019. Now, I don't know. They've got some talent still. You know, you add Peppers to that defense, you're, you're missing their best pass rusher. But they still had, you know, they still have some talent on that team with Jenkins and, you know, Ogletree and, you know, a couple of the guys they had up front last year that were new. Offensively, they clearly have to remake their offensive line, but they have Saquon Barkley. You know, they, they can add at number six overall if it's not the quarterback, if it's not Haskins or it's not Locke, you know, and it's probably not going to be Murray. They could potentially use 17 as a part of a trade for Rosen and get a dominant pass rusher to replace Vernon. You know, so if they did that, we almost have to wait to see exactly what it looks like after the draft, what they look like. It feels like a reboot. It feels like, hey, we're not ready to win now. We've got to you know, trade off some of these assets while we can get a lot for them in return. And then you know, shoot for 2020 or 2021, which would mean that Eli Manning is just a placeholder next year. Or well, they, or the they start anyways. the rookie or they start the second-year guy in Rosen. Right. Uh, on OB, uh, just one more thing on OBJ, and then I know you want to say something. I, I'm a fan of OBJ. I think he's a, a terrific talent. They haven't won anything with him. Nothing. And in the biggest spots, 
more often than not, he came up small for them. And I, you know, you point to that playoff game at, at Lambeau, and they were all, you know, took the picture of all of them on the boat in in South Florida the week leading up to the game in Lambeau, which you know was going to be played in frigid cold weather. I, I think personally, he's off. Like something's wrong with him. And you know, if they were thinking reboot, why would they want him to be on their team during this process? of not you know legitimately trying to win big cuz he would he would have been the biggest problem and has been a problem um at at times and with that said when they gave him the contract extension I don't think he's been a problem since I could be wrong about that but man these diva wide receivers these wide receivers that tend to be self-absorbed to the point of you know at times destructive to the teams they're on they can't sit through a reboot and the decision should have been made last year. I get it. The, the, the decision should have been made last year, and they should have traded him last year before they suffered what you know was a $21 million out-of-pocket expense for him and now a 15 to $16 million salary cap hit for trading him. It does a lot of that I totally get the criticism. It doesn't make sense. Like they they've been directionless here. For the they, last they drafted Saquon Barkley last year over a quarterback because presumably they were going in and wanted to win in the next two years. Now that pick looks really bad in retrospect. It doesn't. It I lo- mean, it doesn't look bad. It, but it, if, it, if they don't compete until twenty twenty one, they've wasted three seasons of their number two pick. Uh, look, it it looks worse now, but you we don't know how they felt about the quarterbacks last year. You know, I, I think if they had loved. You know, if they had loved Darnold as an example, who went you know after Mayfield. I, first of all, remember Mayfield being number one overall was sort of a last m- two or three weeks building into the draft. We didn't know who was going to go number one for a while. But if they didn't love Darnold, you know, and they didn't love Josh Allen, and they didn't love, you know, if they didn't love those guys in that particular draft, Josh Rosen, um, you know, then then Barkley was clearly the best player on the board. The, the question but, is, will they ever get to use him? I, by the he's time he's a special player, I know, and, but by the time they compete, he's basically going to be a free agent. I this feels like a reboot reset to a certain degree. I think the Giants, though, are closer in their reboot reset if the, if they use these picks well um, to being more competitive than people think. You know, they, they aren't without talent on that team, and they do have a game changing, you know, back in Barkley. I, I, the quarterback thing is going to be the most interesting thing for the Giants. But at six overall, they could get they could get Josh Allen. They could get a dominant Montez Sweat. They could get a dominant defensive player, edge rusher to replace Vernon. You know, plus they added Zeitler in that deal with Vernon to help their offensive line. I my net my net takeaway is yeah, what the hell are the Giants doing? But I just didn't think that the compensation that the Giants got back for OBJ was that out of whack, that it was that, you know, one-sided of a deal. I, I'm going to ask Mike Jones about it, and but it seems like overwhelmingly people thought the Giants were taken to the woodshed on that deal, taken to the cleaners, fleeced, however you want to describe it. I didn't feel that way. Um, Le'Veon Bell finally signed last night uh, with the Jets, and he gets a deal that basically looks like, you know, a four-year, $52 million deal with, you know, 30-something of it guaranteed. It's less than what the Steelers offered a year ago. You know, there are a couple of things with Bell. First of all, he is, God, in many ways, it's weird. You're going to think I'm nuts. 
in many ways, he impacts a game more than Beckham Jr., in some ways even more than Antonio Brown. He touches it more than those guys. He is a lethal pass catcher, a great runner. He's a Hall of... I mean, he wanted to get paid like he was a weapon, not a running back. And he is a weapon. He's not just a running back. But when you hold out a year... And you've got some, you know, you've got some issues with respect to to recent suspensions. You know, remember he's been suspended twice. So the, uh, you know, the p- people backed off. You know, he also, you know, holding out a year and not all of that probably rubs some front office people the wrong way. Look, the Jets apparently didn't have much competition because he didn't want to take this Jets offer. According to the reporting yesterday, he he wanted a much bigger offer, and the Jets basically gave him a timeline and said, "Take it or leave it. We're not going a penny higher." And ultimately, because there was nobody else out there for Le'Veon Bell, he took the Jets' offer. Yeah, there there were some reports this morning that uh, the 49ers may have been involved, which would have been interesting, but clearly not that high. Not at not at that level. Yeah, you know, not at that level. And um, the uh, the other thing I heard this morning too was that. Uh, that the Browns were really interested in Antonio Brown, but the Steelers told them right from the get-go, we're not trading him within the division. And that goes side-by-side with the report that the Patriots had offered a second and a fourth for AB, but the Steelers were not going to trade him to the, to the Patriots. Uh, Anyway, um, Bell in New York, OBJ in Cleveland, and that leaves us with one more quick discussion before we get to Mike Jones. And that is, the Browns. I mean, the talent that the Browns have, they have gone now from, you know, a t- middling team in the AFC with respect to odds to win the AFC championship to the third favorite in the AFC and the fifth favorite to win the Super Bowl. The Cleveland Browns are only behind New England and Kansas City in the AFC odds to win the AFC championship and are only behind New England, Kansas City, the Rams, and the Saints overall in Super Bowl odds. Remember when they were celebrating winning a game last year? Crazy. I thought last year they had a chance to be a 500 team and actually be in the playoff race, and they were. They were in the playoff race. They were not eliminated until... Until the final, you know, two weeks of the season, final week, I think. Yeah. Right, I think they were still in it with two weeks to go uh, think, mathematically. So, yeah. um, but this is a team that, my God, the talent on this team. You know, you've added Olivier Vernon to go with Miles Garrett. I mean, that alone, you have two dominant pass rushers on your team defensively to go with the Ohio State corner Denzel Ward and other talented players on defense. Now it's not Greg Williams coaching them anymore. Um I don't know the uh the the defensive coordinator um is uh is Steve Wilkes. Steve Wilkes is the defensive coordinator. And you got a new head coach in Freddie Kitchens who they 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 kept. But offensively, Landry and Odell Beckham Jr. back together again, both LSU teammates. I love Landry. Loved Landry. I wanted the Redskins to trade for Landry, sign Landry last year. I think he's a massive difference maker. And by the way, as a college receiver, in many ways was better than Beckham Jr. The LSU problem with their great receivers is they never had any good quarterbacks to throw to them. But you've got uh, you've got Najuko at, at tight end. You've got running backs with, with Chubb. And um, Kareem Hunt and, and Kareem Hunt, who they signed. Now we don't know what Kareem Hunt's situation will be right. with respect to 
Uh, but even without him, Chubb looked great last year. Exactly. Duke Johnson is still on that roster. Uh, wow. I mean, and then you got Baker Mayfield in year two. I mean, Cleveland, I get it. Why they are. If nothing else, being they're going to be the most fun team to watch next year. They're going to be an interesting team. And to me, there's a lot of pressure now on Freddie Kitchens. A lot of pressure on a first year head coach who essentially is saying uh, that uh, the Browns are essentially saying, we've got a championship quality roster that Dorsey's just handed over to Freddie Kitchens. Good luck with that. Uh, they should be a lot of fun to watch. And. They should be on national television next year more than any than they've ever been in in multiple decades. The I, I threw this out to John Oran last night. I haven't heard back from him on Twitter. But you know the Patriots have the Browns as a home game. Field Yates threw that out on Twitter. Oh, he did. Well, I I asked John. I haven't heard back from him. But the, remember, the Patriots are apparently not going to open up the season as the Super Bowl champion. The NFL is going to open the season with Chicago Green Bay. Uh, in in its hundredth season right, of the thir- NFL on the Thursday on the game. Thursday night uh, early September game first game of the year, but the Patriots are going to host the Sunday night game. I'd love it. Could be the Browns. Why not? Could be the Browns. Mike Jones uh, coming up next. Uh, real quickly, Scentbird. Want to tell you about Scentbird. Scentbird is a luxury fragrance subscription service. It's a way to discover new colognes and perfumes without having to buy the entire bottle. That's important because good colognes and perfumes can be expensive and. Most of you guys out there aren't probably sure exactly what you want or whatever you've been wearing, you've just been wearing because it was a gift given to you a few years back. You want to smell great. You want to act and, and appear to have really good taste, but picking out the right scent can take time. Scentbird makes it easy. They've got more than 450 designer brands for you to choose from each month. Gucci, Tom Ford, Kenneth Cole, Burberry, Prada, and more. You choose the cologne you want to try and they'll send you a 30-day supply i tried it my wife tried it makes sense it's easy and that's the key not sure what type of scent you're looking for you can very easily sort the colognes and perfumes by brand by occasion by season by style and more and you can check out user ratings and reviews on any fragrance Scentbirds even got a quiz you can take to discover a more personalized recommendation here's the offer right now for my listeners only you get 50% off your first month today that's only $7.50 for your first fragrance. Go to scentbird.com slash KSDC. Use my code KSDC for 50% off your first month. That's scentbird, S-C-E-N-T, bird.com slash KSDC for you to try your first cologne or perfume for just $7.50. Sign on, smell amazing. All right, I recorded uh, Mike Jones a little bit earlier, and it was before the Zach Brown and Stacey McGee news uh, came out. So uh, understand that as you listen to the interview with Mike. Let's bring in Mike Jones, uh, a good friend and a great columnist for the USA Today. And, of course, he covered the Redskins for many years for the Washington Post. And before we get into you know Odell Beckham and the Browns and Le'Veon Bell and everything that's going on, I mean, this may be the free agency frenziest of frenzies the the last couple of days that I think we've ever seen, and it actually doesn't even technically start until today, you know, this this legal tampering mm-hmm. period. What is a guy like you who is covering the league, what are these days like? 
You know, it's very crazy because last week I was talking to Master Tsatsian, my former coworker at the Washington Post. He's now on Bleacher Report. And this was, I think, Thursday. And there just was no buzz. No agents really had anything interesting. No team people had anything. And I said, dude, this is about to be the most boring free agency ever. Um, you know, I want to see where AB gets traded to, but nothing interesting is happening, it doesn't sound like. And he was like, yeah, man, like, it's crazy. You know, it's just the NFL free agency just isn't sexy this year. Were we wrong or what? Because all of a sudden it just ramped into overdrive. And years before this legal tampering window or negotiation window, whatever you want to call it, there still wasn't a lot of stuff really leaking out until the signing day. This year, everything just kicked into high gear and it's been insane. You are afraid to peel yourself away from the computer um, my wife got home from work yesterday, and I was just, like, staring at the computer. She's like, what are you doing? You're not writing. I said, no, I'm I'm watching Twitter and waiting for <laughs> agents to email and text me back. I had to coach my son's Little League team last night, and every time my phone buzzed, I was, like, jumping and, like, grabbing it out and, you know, in between, you know, catching pitches and stuff. I mean, it was – it's crazy. <laughs> it just doesn't um, – you know, you, you're afraid that you're going to miss something just the way that this is here. It's – just, I guess this is what the NFL wants. It's fast and furious and all over the place. I'm curious because working for USA Today, what is your, you know, what is the expectation of you as a columnist? Like, are you, are you staying up late last night to, to see, and are you talking to people to see what, where Le'Veon Bell's going to end up? And it, do you have to write right then on deadline? How does it work for you specifically during these couple of days? Yeah, well, what they want is context. They want, you know, obviously you try to break news, but the most important thing in, in this age, a scoop is like 30 seconds long on Twitter. Right. Um, you know, uh, but they want, and readers want to know why something happened or how something happened. Um, and so there's a lot of late nights of texting people to get background information on stuff. Um, I think it was Saturday that I was up really late to like one something, texting someone out on uh, in Oakland trying to, you know, get a hold on if this Antonio Brown thing was going to happen. Um, and, you know, couldn't make a whole lot of headway, which was frustrating. And then you wake up, you know, two hours later after checking your phone every 15 minutes um, and something that went down, but at least you have that context. Last night I had just got back from Little League and um, the Odell Beckham Jr. trade happened. And they're like, hey, can you give us some video on what you know? Um, and then after that was filed, like, can you write a column? Um, and so you're quickly sending text messages to people to get as much background on what does this mean, people close to the situation, people around the league, to get their opinions of it, to educate yourself so that way uh, you can bring as much insight and, and context as possible. And so, yeah, so I finished the, the Odo Beckham Jr. thing, and then I just sat down on the couch and just had NFL Network on and had my phone, and we're all sitting waiting for Le'Veon Bell to drop the bomb and <laughs> You know, uh, you're, one of my coworkers, um, uh, Lorenzo Reyes, he's based in New York. So if he had gone to the Raiders, I would have picked that up. Uh, he went to New York. So Lorenzo um, did that. And so I was like, okay, all right, I guess I can go to bed now. I, I won something. And, um, you know, then you wake up very early, quickly, and regroup and say, okay, who are the people I need to check in with today? Um, you know, how do I position myself to, to bring some knowledge uh, for the next big move. 
Um, follow Mike on Twitter at by Mike Jones and his column uh, on OBJ is out. You can get it right there off his Twitter page or you can buy the newspaper, I guess. Um, I want to start there with the Giants. I just essentially said that I don't get and, and it, look, it's a very subjective thing, these trades. I mean, they never seem to go the way people think they will go. You know, Antonio Brown's a perfect example. Um, but I didn't think that the Giants did that poorly on the deal. I think Jabril Peppers is a very good player. I mean, he was a first-round pick two years ago. They got another first-rounder. They got a, they got a third. Um, but the Giants and Dave Gettleman are being universally just completely, uh, you know, crushed by everybody out there that they gave OBJ away. Do you agree with that or not? I, I do not agree that they got fleeced. Um, I mean, again, look, the, the Steelers got a third and a fifth round pick for Antonio Brown. That's it. And they had to eat a, a lot of um, cap, cap money, dead cap money, you know. Um, so the Giants get a first round pick, a third round pick, and a pretty damn good, you know, safety. So that's good. I think that the criticism comes from just the aimless and seemingly lack of vision that they're conducting themselves with. You just gave Beckham all that money last year. Um, and you had an aging Eli Manning, and you didn't do anything to either upgrade your offensive line or get a backup that you could start grooming for this year. And this year, um, you know, you got Saquon Barkley, you've got Odell Beckham, you've got some nice pieces, and you just said, look, we didn't sign him to trade him, and suddenly you're looking like you're blowing the thing up again, but still Eli is your centerpiece. Now, maybe this thing is all going to make sense in about a month when the draft comes and they've pulled off a trade using one of those first round picks to get Josh Rosen or something like that. And, you know, they've had a smart draft, but right now um, because of the players they've lost, this doesn't look like they have a vision. At least they got worse though. They got value for Beckham. Um, You know, they're eating, I think 16 million in dead cap money and already paid them 21 million. Um, So, financially, you know, it doesn't make a lot of sense. And this is a really talented guy. I thought that they were going to be like, look, dude, last year was a rough first year with our new head coach. He was learning you guys. We had a really bad offensive line. The worst. And we're going to get this thing fixed. And you were just going to sit here and suck it up and be a professional because you're too good for us to part with. And instead, they kind of just threw up their hands and said, you know, even Odell Beckham Jr. was shocked that he got traded. Um, so, I think that's where the confusion is. But as far as getting value, they didn't give this dude away. Yeah, um, I, I agree. I, you know, I, I, that's the way I saw it. And I think what you said is really the, the fair criticism. And that is, what in God's name are the Giants doing? Why did they take this massive turn from where they were a year ago um, in giving him that big deal, and what are they left with? Like, I was shocked, Mike, that they traded Olivier Vernon, who I thought at times was a dominant player last year as as right. a pass rusher. I was very surprised, and in hindsight, it looks even worse that they didn't franchise Landon Collins for a year at $11 million plus. Um, maybe right. we should have seen some of this coming, not necessarily with OBJ, but Overall, I mean, do you do you label what the Giants are now doing, at least for now, as a total reboot? Yeah, it looks like they're dismantling this thing, and they're going to build it around Saquon Barkley. Um, they're still, again, we don't know. 
three, four weeks from now, maybe they've pulled off a trade for a quarterback. Um, maybe they draft Dwayne Haskins um, if he's left there and Kyler Murray's gone. Maybe the answer is there, but right now it looks like they're stripping this thing down. They've partnered with some talented players. I know they got uh, Peppers, Jabril Peppers, so that kind of you know takes care of the loss of Collins. Um, but they don't look like a team. Last year it looked like, okay, add some more pieces and you've got a good core here to start competing. They look like they've kicked that can down the road a little bit longer, and they're not going to be ready to compete for a while. Yeah, I mean, netting it out, I, I think you you totally hit on it. It's like a year after signing this dude to a ridiculous contract extension, they punted on him. And in this day and age, when you have to take you know a 15, 16, or in the Steelers' case, a $21 million-plus salary cap hit in one season because it accelerates because it was a trade – um, that's painful, which that's where really if you're if you're to criticize Gettleman and the Maras and whomever else is involved in this, you just say, boy, you guys, you, you did a, a quick, you know, you did a quick 180 on what you thought you were going to be last year. And here's the problem is they're stuck with a very old quarterback, Mike, which leads to, to, to what you mentioned, and that is. Clearly, with the the firepower they have in draft choices now, they're going to they, they have to solve their long term quarterback um, issue in this draft, don't they? Or, or via a trade with the Cardinals for Rosen? Yeah, they they've got to find an answer. But I, I don't care who the quarterback is; they really need offensive line help. And I know they just when they traded Olivia Vernon, they got an offensive lineman back to the Browns. But the, you know. Eli Manning, I know, say what you want to say, um, you know, Eli Manning still had stuff left in the tank last year. If they had a, if they were going to give Odell that money, they needed to beef up the line in front of him. And, you know, they could have gotten another year or two of quality play out of him. Um, and so far he's still there, but I don't see the offensive line moves that suggest that you're going to, um, you know, do more to protect him and try to get more out of him. You can't trot him out there behind the same line um, because it's just not going to work. And so that's why you have to think, okay, they've got to be getting a younger quarterback option that they can at least start grooming. And, uh, you know, then when you're out from under Eli's contract, you can start using money to build up your offensive line. But, again, it's just really hard to understand what they're doing um, you know, and where the strategy is. Obviously, they have one, uh, but it's just hard to understand from outside. The um, I agree with you on pay, on Eli. I, I don't think Eli's done. Uh, I think we saw at times glimpses of you know Eli and the way he can play. They actually got hot a little bit at the end of the year offensively. If you look at some of those games, they were moving the football. They were scoring points. A lot of that started with the Redskins game here when they uh, when they crushed Mark Sanchez. But um, the problem is, is if you're rebooting, you know, will Eli be ready and be the guy two years from now or three years from now? And the answer to that is more likely than not no. So right. the, if they solve the quarter, I mean, I could see them using 17 to get Rosen, the Browns pick, right. and then using mm-hmm. six on a, on a, on a a true pass rusher potentially or yeah. or a guy like Jawan Taylor you know a tackle you know they, they they can improve themselves this year and they will be a younger team moving forward I, I just I, I also think Mike that part of it is you know you look at AB and you look at Beckham and these guys haven't you know delivered on their own I mean certainly not in OBJ's case they haven't delivered wins 
and ultimately, right. you know, were you going to win a title because of them? Uh, and, and they're pain, yeah. and both of them were, you know, major pain in the asses. Well, well until this year, Brown had not been as much right. uh, of, of, of pain. Um, you know, it when things and look from from what I hear, he had good reason to be frustrated. Um, you know, oh, you know, Big Ben, one of the last guys in the building, one of the first ones out. You know, says he has the right to call out players publicly and things like that. From what I hear, it doesn't sound like Tomlin um, holds uh, everyone uh, holds Ben to the same standard of accountability they hold everyone else. But the way that Brown handled it all was just awful. But he wanted to be is like he was that kid who's like, I'm gonna just lay on the floor, kick and scream until my parents finally just like give me what I want. Um, but I do think he is going to make life easier for Derek Carr. Um, you know, you see what they're doing is, okay, they're not spending the most on a quarterback. He's got a, a you know a, a decent deal, but it's not a record-breaking deal, and they have money to continue to put pieces around him. And so that's why I think that Brown will help him win. Um, he is still dangerous, one of the best smaller wide receivers that the game has seen. He's not big and powerful, and he's worked hard to create um, himself into the dangerous weapon that he has, is. It actually, but yes, OBJ. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, it actually puts a lot of pressure on Derek Carr. I mean, to, to me, Derek Carr's got to end up with a massive year because he's got weapons and he's got a better team. And, and um, they, I think that he has something to work with now, yeah. unlike, you know, the second half of last year. You know, right. Um, but you were going to say OBJ, what? Yeah, he's not got a playoff win to his belt. No. I mean, they they don't win. He makes great one-handed catches, but there are times when he can disappear. There are times when a defender can get in his head and just take him out of the game um, mentally. And I I do think that lined up opposite Landry, um, and you know they've got some weapons. You know they they added Kareem Hunt. Uh, they've got you know help at tight end. I think that he's going to be impactful, uh, but they're not counting on him to to lift them up and deliver them. I think that they feel like Baker Mayfield, he's got all these tools at his disposal. Um, you know, But, yeah, you're just hoping that, okay, because he's in a, a place with better energy, he's in a place with clear vision where you can tell that they are building to win, that he'll be able to thrive. And I think that he'll be better there. Um, than what he was in, in, you know, New York, and he just. But again, yeah, he hasn't been a guy that, yeah, as talented as he is. You're not saying okay because of him we've won games. It's just it's been the opposite. No, and in fact, in some of their bigger games, he's come up small, including in that playoff game in Green Bay, the one year that they made it to the playoffs mm-hmm. in 2016. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that if you were comparing the two side by side, even though there's what a four year age difference, something like that, yeah. um, Brown's yeah. Brown's been the better player and is the better player, and he's he's more impactful. To, to the final result than, than OBJ's been. OBJ's a talent, and maybe side-by-side side with Landry and the team that they've put together there, which we'll get to in a moment, you know, he will thrive even more. I mean, Eli barely had, you know, uh, a second and a half to get rid of the ball the last yeah. couple of years with that offensive line in front of them. Let me ask you real quick. Ten you... different offensive linemen he used. Ten uh, different offensive linemen. That's, yeah. that's insane. Uh, let me ask you about Le'Veon Bell. Um, this, uh, I mean, ultimately, if you were to judge the deal, disappointment for him, and was it ultimately a mistake to hold out? Um, I don't know that it was a mistake. Um, 
Yeah, did he forfeit fourteen million? Um, yes. Did he spare himself injury? Um, I think that he felt like okay when he looked around the league and saw guys like Earl Thomas um, come back after lengthy holdouts and then break his leg and not have the whole foundation of training camp and the OTAs and things like that to get yourself um, in real football shape, Des Bryant being another one of those guys, I think that he got a little scared. Um, I think originally he did plan to wait until the absolute latest time and then report um, and still make a decent chunk of money. Um, and then I think he got scared. Uh, but, you know, it's his decision for his family. I think you got to be a little bit disappointed when you look at this. I think that I expected him to get more guaranteed money than what he did, and I thought he was going to get a little more. At one point late in the day yesterday, uh, someone in the league told me that uh, that his camp was putting out that they had an offer for $17 million a year and $55 million guaranteed, and they were hoping that you know some other team was going to – I think they were trying to get some teams who were in that $13 million range to come up to try to – uh, they really wanted, you know, the Raiders, and they were hoping the Raiders were going to come up a little bit higher at least. Uh, well, obviously, we know that they didn't really have that kind of an offer. Right. Um, and so $13 million a year, I mean, it's still good. It's not, you know, what he was hoping for. And, you know, the guaranteed money um, is, is not as handsome. But, again, he's got a multi-year deal. He's got guaranteed money um, that that is, is still better than what I guess he was getting, um, you know, because he, he didn't have any guaranteed money last year. Uh, at one point, it sounded like he was going to get more than that from the Steelers, but I guess we don't really know. Either way, he seems like he's excited to be in New York, um, and he's got a contract that's you know enough to, to satisfy him, and we'll see how he plays out. He's going to – I think he's still going to be able to be effective. Um, he's got a young quarterback there. Uh, I, I would have thought that the better situation for him was to go to Oakland because you have – um, Brown, and you have, you know, that way you know that there's another offensive weapon that's a game changer that kind of eases some pressure on you, and you really put your quarterback in a good situation then. But again, it's just his decision, and um, New York is where he'll be. Is Bell's next suspension a super long one? He's been suspended twice, if my memory serves me correctly. The first one was either 2014 or 15 for for marijuana and maybe even a DUI. And then the second one came a year or two later. Like, is the next suspension a, a, a 10 game or 12 game? I, I forget what, what the next step is for him. You know, I think so, but there's also somebody had told me this was a couple of years ago um, that if you stay clean for a year or two, they revert it back. So if you're constantly accelerating like Randy Gregory every year, you get popped and, you know, then the, the punishments keep increasing. Um, but then if you, if you are clean for a certain amount of time, um, then the next punishment does not escalate. Um, remember with Trent Williams, when yeah. he had that uh, one, um, his, everybody thought it was going to be longer and it wasn't. Um, I think that was the case there. So I don't know exactly the status of Bells, but I do know that there were teams that did kind of point to some of that stuff and say, look, man, um, we're not sure we can really meet your asking price because even though it's been okay for the last couple of years, there, there is possibly a risk that we're taking on here. Uh, and so I do think that that might have been a factor in people and even the Steelers in, in meeting his asking price even from a year ago. All right, let's go back to Cleveland for a moment. Um, after the deal uh, yesterday, 
they moved from wherever they were to the third favorite in the AFC to win the AFC championship behind New England and Kansas City. How much of a reach is that, that they're the third best team now in the AFC? Uh, Well, I mean, everything is until we see them out on the field. But on paper, they do look really good. Um, When you think about it, okay, last year – they won, you know, five of their last seven to finish seven and nine. Um, when normally a coaching change midseason does not bring um, change. Now they made another change, so it's not Greg Williams. They got Freddie Kitchens leading the way, but these guys, there's an energy there that's building, that's been building, and it's legit. Uh, and these guys really do believe. Um, you know, Baker Mayfield is a really good leader. He rubs off on his teammates. He's got this cockiness that everybody buys into. They've got talented young guys on defense. They've got talented guys on offense. Um, And so when you look at some of these teams, okay, the Patriots, they've had some losses in free agency. They've had key players uh, that are gone. You look at the Steelers, and, you know, obviously they've lost Bell and Brown. We don't know what they're going to be. Um, You know, you think that the Chiefs obviously – should be able to stay up top there. But the Browns really do have a legitimate chance, I think, to, to make noise. I think they'll win their division, uh, and then we'll see after that. But, again, this is all on paper. We've seen talented you know, teams here in Washington not pan out. I think, the, um, I think the most intriguing thing about the Browns next year, they were a really good defensive team at times last year, to have Miles right. Garrett and Olivier Vernon as your pass rushers mm-hmm. You know, those yep. those are the things ultimately, especially in a place like Cleveland late in the season, they're the two players that are going to win some games for you. Like, And they had the kid yeah. from Ohio State at, at last year's number one. Denzel Ward. Denzel, yeah, Ward. Denzel Ward. I mean, they've got a, they've got a hell of a defense. Yeah. My, my question um, for them is, what about safety? Because now you lose Jabril Peppers. Because I remember Ward talking about um, how much help it was to have him back there. And also... Greg Williams really just instilled this nasty attitude yeah. of, in those guys. Um, and he's gone now. I understand you didn't want him to be your head coach, um, and he didn't want to stay there and go back to being a defense coordinator, a flip-flop there. But he was really, really instrumental in the mindset, um, the chip that was on there, those guys' shoulders. And so Steve Wilkes, good defensive coordinator, he's not that that really you know the the edgy type of guy that is really that defense fed off of so it's going to be interesting to see how Wilkes uses those guys and how um he sets the tone for them uh so that's my big question about their defense yeah and I mean overall they've got a new head coach in Freddie Kitchens it's it's interesting that you brought up Greg Williams because Cooley called me late yesterday and he said I just finished watching a bunch of Case Keenum games um, and one of the games, and he just he, he brought this up, he said one of the games was late in the season, Denver was playing Cleveland, I think it was a Saturday night game, and he said he watched that whole game to watch Keenan, he said the big takeaway from that is, he goes, God damn, is Greg Williams a hell of a defensive coordinator. He's like, yeah. he just, he really knows what he's doing, and he's aggressive, and he's like, that Cleveland defense last year was was really good, and yeah, they lose Peppers, and it's a big loss. I mean, he mm-hmm. was a he had a good year, and he looked like, and he, he potentially will be a, a star in the making. And for the Giants, just to point out, you know, he's still on his rookie deal, so it's a lot less money right. than Landon Collins. He's a different player than Landon Collins, a much different player. Right. Um, all right, what about the Redskins? What have you made uh, of, of what they've done, the trade for Case Keenum and then Landon Collins, and what do you think's next? Well, I mean, I, I think the the trade for Keenum um, 
you get a solid guy, you really didn't have to give up very much at all. Um, so that was the biggest thing. Uh, and, and that doesn't mean that they're done at quarterback. I, I still think that we see them draft a quarterback. Um, you know, people have asked me, oh, so I guess they're not going to trade for Josh Rosen. I mean, that's still possible. Um, I don't know. I'm not a huge, the biggest Josh Rosen fan. Um, so I'm not saying that even if they don't trade him, that that's a bad thing. But Keenum is a guy that at least is going to um, give you somebody that's that's steady. Um, you know, he'll take care of the football for the most part. Everything's got to be really good around him. So they need to, you know, they haven't made a whole lot of moves and free agency here, um, but they've got to, you know, solve their offensive line, that left guard position, um, you know, and they've got to find some playmakers for him because he's not a guy that's going to make something out of nothing, um, as we saw in Denver, but as we saw in Minnesota the year before that, you have a strong run game, you have a strong offensive line and some talented wide receivers, this guy can win you football games. So I, I thought that that move was decent. He's a good bridge guy. He's pretty durable. And then you draft somebody and, and develop behind him and uh, Colt McCoy. Uh, as far as Landon Collins goes, it's about time that they spent some money on the safety position. They've been using Band-Aids there um, ever since Sean Taylor's death. They haven't really made real investments there that um, they haven't drafted really. You know, I remember the Sewer Cravens. He was like a hybrid guy. Um, you know, that thing didn't pan out. He was going to move back to safety, didn't pan out. I'm thinking of guys like Madua Williams and Ryan Clark at a, you know, Tenor, older Tenard Jackson. <laughs> Tenard Jackson, Brandon yeah, Merriweather. Right. Um, you know, lots of just, you know, plug-in guys, not difference maker. I think Landon Collins has um, the potential to be a good tone setter on that defense, um, to, to make an impact back there. Um, and, and he's versatile. He, people say he's a box safety, but he's more versatile than that. I agree. Um, and people got caught up on the $84 million, but I look at the guaranteed money. Um, you know, it, it's not nearly as much. Um, and I, I think that it was something they had to do. Uh, but they've got a lot of more work that they've got to do. And I guess around now or in the last couple of days, hopefully they've been restructuring um, some contracts to create some salary cap space because they're going to need it. Yeah, nothing's happened uh, yet uh, with some of the players we thought would be cut loose at this point. I think a lot of that has to do with, um, you know, an inside linebacker. They still don't mm-hmm. know what the outcome of, of Reuben Foster will be with respect to how many right. games he'll he'll get suspended if he gets suspended. And then, you know, I think inside linebacker was a priority for them in free agency. They were interested in Mosley, um, and right. that didn't work out. And they could potentially draft an inside linebacker at 15, you know, if a Devin White or a Devin Bush are, are available there. Um but uh, yeah, the, the, I, I agree with you on on Collins. He, he's the first legit, you know, blue chip player, um, you know, that they've had uh, on at, at that position since since Sean Taylor. They need a lot more. I mean, he's not gonna right, he's right. he's not gonna lift them from what appears to me right now to be a double digit loss team to you know playoff contender. But um, he's uh, he's a player. Um, what do you th- what do you think they'll do next? Do you, do you I agree with you on the quarterback thing. We've talked a lot about it on the podcast. The three and a half million for Keenum basically meant that they weren't done at quarterback. I mean, he is right. a he's an insurance policy more than anything else, and he may end up being the starter. Who knows? But what's your guess on what they do at quarterback? Um, I, I think they wind up using a first round pick um, on on a quarterback. Whether you know, it depends on who's available there. But I think they'll come out of here. I think they know that 
they need to start really getting a young guy ready and it can't be a, a third, you know, a fourth project guy. Um, you know, it's a guy that you've got to really make a serious investment in because they don't have a long-term answer there. Uh, I would expect to see Keenum be your starter um, early on at least, and then you see what happens. Um, I don't think they really have the resources to jump up and trade. I know that they really liked Kyler Murray um, at the combine, but I don't think that they can, can get up high enough to trade for, I mean, to draft him. Um, and so that's why, you know, is it the kid from Duke? Is it the kid from Mizzou? Um, maybe, you know, we'll see. Um, but they're definitely going to add a quarterback there. Um, and again, I guess in the next couple of days of free agency, they've got to find offensive alignment. Um, and they've got to find some, some wide receivers. You lost, uh, Jamison Crowder, um, you know, Josh Doxson is not consistent or impactful enough. Um, and, you know, again, Case Keenum, yeah, yeah, if, you, if you're going to have him as your starter, the table better be set all around him. All right, lastly, um, who's left? What's the next big, uh, you know, free agency news? I mean, it starts today, but it's really almost, it almost feels like it's starting to come to an end um, today. Yeah. Who's left? What's the next big move? Um, you know, again, like it really is. A lot of the big names um, are gone. I mean, when you think about it, um, everybody has had agreements for some of these big guys. It's going to be, you know, guys that aren't household names that I think are, you know, they've been waiting to see what's going to happen. Um, you know, I mean, I even was wondering if the Redskins would uh, make a push or, or for Saffold, the guard, but right. he agreed to yep. a deal, you know. So, um I think the excitement of free agency might be done. Um, <laughs> I guess it's been an, an exciting last couple of days, you know, so it's a little bit disappointing that, you know, Christmas is here and, you know, we already know what we're getting. Um, we've opened all the presents yeah, already, really uh, you know, so, um, but, but we'll see. This is where general managers have to be smart um, and make really good choices on guys that fit your system um, rather than because now the name games are basically gone. Earl Thomas is still out there. Golden Tate is still out there. Yeah. Terrell Williams, who who was getting a lot of love, you know, heading into this period, the wide receiver from the Chargers is still out there, you know. Uh, you, but you got to love these guys. I was actually, you know, what it really is among uh, Tevin Coleman's still out there too, and I I I think he's a good back. And Ingram clearly is available now right, as right, well. Right. But you know what was a big surprise to me, and maybe there's a feeling that the job will be available sooner rather than later. Why didn't Teddy Bridgewater take a deal to be the starter in Miami? Yeah, I that was the one that surprised me as well. Um, you know, because that's a team that needed him, and he could have played right away. But I think that he understands that fit um, and stability is really important and he must have gotten some assurances from Sean Payton that look Drew has got one more year left and then this is your team and we're you know I think that he knows that he's got a lot to learn he's a young guy that's shown talent but um, he's behind one of the greats and he's with a coach that's one of the greats when you look at the situation there in Miami is you know what is there to give you confidence um, yeah, as far as offensive weapons, as far as support system, as far as uh, coaching. I mean, Jim Caldwell is a really smart guy that's done well, helped Peyton Manning win a Super Bowl, helped Joe Flacco win a Super Bowl. Um, but at the same time, 
look at everything else and there's questions. So I, he just felt better about staying put and being patient. And so we'll see if it pays off for him. You know, one last thing that I I, I find a little bit surprising, the Giants thing was a, a big surprise, just starting yeah. with the, the Vernon trade and not franchising Landon Collins. But, you know, the Chiefs who were, you know, within a whisker oh, of, right. of going to the Super Bowl have now lost Justin Houston. They've decided to let him mm-hmm. walk. They, they trade D Ford to the 49ers right. after franchising, franchising him. Mm-hmm. You know, this is a defense, and I know they added, you know, the Honey Badger, but this is a right. defense up front that really struggled. I mean, they actually rushed the passer fairly well, but they got moved on throughout. It looks like it's a defense that's weaker than the defense a year ago. Um, yeah, that's going to be really interesting to see uh, because the the, the top-level pass rushers, you normally don't let them get away. Right. Um, and, you know, they traded D Ford away, and they did so after the, the top free agent pass rushers were off the, were gone. They committed to people already. Um, so I guess they're going to draft there. Yes, Honey Badger is good to have on the back end, but he's not – Maybe they've got a better plan for him because while I think he had a very good year in Houston, he's not this, the same guy. He's not. He wasn't used the same, and I don't know if that's because he doesn't have quite the range and everything after injuries. Um, but um, it'll be interesting to see how he fits there. And they've got a new defensive coordinator as well. Uh, they need to get better on defense because they gave up a lot of yards and a lot of points. And so for them to let um, guys like Houston and Ford uh, to let them out of the building is really surprising. Uh, because again, they happened. Those were not the Houston one, but the Ford one happened um, when you didn't have a better option. But I do know in talking to teams that they feel like this is a really, really good year in the draft as far as defensive linemen and outside linebackers, and that's um, a reason why uh, the Eagles were willing to trade away uh, Michael Bennett because they felt like there's a lot of guys that they'll be that they can help themselves with throughout the draft, not just in the first round. And so maybe um, that Kansas City is seeing some of this talent and saying, hey, we're going to go younger, we're going to go cheaper, and we are going to get some really athletic, strong guys that can fly around, and that's how we're going to improve our defense. Thanks, as always. I love catching up with you. Um, Follow Mike on Twitter. Read all of his columns in USA Today. He's a great writer, and uh, he knows our team, too, um, as as well as as anybody. Um, At by Mike Jones on Twitter. Thanks, man. Appreciate it, as always. All right. Thanks for having me, man. Always a good time. All right, thanks to Mike uh, for joining us. Always love catching up with him. Window Nation uh, has an offer in place that I want you to take advantage of. First of all, if you think you need new windows, call Window Nation first at 866-90-NATION, 866-90-NATION, or windownation.com. They will give you a free home estimate, free in-home estimate. doesn't cost you anything. I've used Window Nation twice to replace windows in my home over the last 10 years, and they will take good care of you, especially if you mention my name. WindowNation.com or 866-90-NATION. Harley and Aaron are two of the best entrepreneurs I know. Harley's a good friend of mine. Uh, He's a Browns fan. They're both big Cleveland sports fans, and they are excited today about the team uh, that that Dorsey's putting together uh, in Cleveland. Um, But here's the offer right now. Two windows, two free. Four for free, no limit. And you can buy a house of windows for just $69 a month. And I mentioned the free in-home estimate. That price that they give you when they come out for free is valid for 60 days. So if you call them up, they come out, they give you an estimate and they'll go room by room. They'll say, you don't need anything in this room, but over here, you could use a few windows in this room. And that price that they quote you 
is good for 60 days. Window Nation's installed over 160,000 windows in the last year alone, and they've installed over 475,000 windows all time. Uh, use Window Nation. Free, free in-home estimate. Totally worth it. Windownation.com or 866-90-NATION. All right, let's bring in uh, Mike Adams, who is a longtime NFL safety, two-time pro bowler, was recently with Carolina, 15-year career in the NFL, and a a friend from back in the day because Mike was part of the NFL internship program, and he interned at the radio station one summer and and was a great guy, and and we've stayed in touch over the years, and I, I... I thought about you when the Redskins signed Landon Collins the other day as somebody that you know could really give us um, some some you know concrete and some constructive thought on that signing. But before we get to that, are are you are you going to play a sixteenth season in the NFL or are you done? As soon as the team call me, I'm suiting up. <laughs> it's, 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 no, no, I'm not. I'm not done yet. Uh, I, I want. I still want to play. So, I, and my body feels good. So, I just want to. Uh, I want to keep going. You're. You. You. What are you now? Thirty-seven. Thirty-eight years old. I'm Thirty-seven, going on thirty-eight. You know, two weeks. And, and Mike's been in Carolina. You know, as as the starting safety there the last two years. He played in Indy. I think when you were at the Colts, that's when I met you. You played in Denver, Cleveland. You know, signed as an undrafted free agent out of Delaware with San Francisco to get your career started. You know, the Redskins still need another safety. To go side by side uh, with Collins? Well, you know, I gave you guys Manusky, so uh, <laughs> should, should, he better call me up or something. <laughs> well, I, you, I told you, they're not. Matter of fact, when when I got on the phone with you guys, when Manusky was free and y'all talked to him, I told you he was going to be a good D coordinator. I told you he was going to uh, change the change the outlook on that team and all that other stuff. Didn't I say that? You did tell me that. Now, you know they tried to replace him this offseason. They they, they they talked to Todd Bowles. They talked to Greg Williams. The ownership and, and management tried to actually replace Minuski in the offseason, and they couldn't, so he's back. You know, the defense improved last year, Mike. Um, you know, and they've got some good young players up front, but it really collapsed uh, towards the end of the year, um, which hurt them a little bit. I, they had a lot of injuries team wide. Yeah. But I know you played with, you know, for Greg and in, in Indy and, and liked them a lot. Um, I, I'm being serious here for a moment. Do you think the Redskins they need another safety? They they, they Ha Ha Clinton Dix is a free agent. They have not talked to him. Do you think it's possible? I mean, have you talked to them? Are they would they be a team interested in you? No, I mean, I, I don't know. I mean, that's a, that's a great question. So, But right now I'm just training, working out, and just, you know, staying focused on me. I, I'm just controlling what I can control. Uh, and that's staying in shape. Uh, and I try to stay ready so I don't have to get ready. That's what, uh, that's my high school coach told me. So I'm just, I'm just waiting for whatever. Well, you've done that well throughout your professional career. It's really hard you know, to have a 15-year NFL career as an undrafted free agent out of Delaware. And you've done it because you've been really good. And what I know also is that you are great as a teammate, you're coachable, you're smart, and all of those things have led to this long career that you've had. So I, I wish you the best in finding a new spot. And I'm serious about the Redskins. They should absolutely, because of Minuski's familiarity with you um, and the need that they have at safety and for another you know, smart 
guy on the back end, they, they should be they should be calling you. But one of the reasons I called you is I wanted to get your thoughts on Landon Collins. The Redskins gave him this massive deal two days ago. Um, it'll become official today with the opening of free agency. Um, d- describe the player that the Redskins are getting in Landon Collins. Well, definitely a good a good player. I, I watched him as I do. I watch all the safeties in the league, and one thing I do see about him, like his growth, you know, from his rookie year, which I which I thought was was a was a little shaky. Then from there, he just got better and better. He just soared, and you know, um, rookie year, everybody rookie year is uh, is like learning pain, and I just see him growing as a person. Growing as a as a player on the field, you can see as he, you see him becoming that leader, directing traffic and doing all the little things. I haven't been in the locker room with him, but just watching him from afar, because like I said, I, I watch all the safeties, and uh, he definitely brings a lot to the table, and he got a much deserved contract. Some have described him as much more of an in the box, close to the line of scrimmage safety than a back end safety. Do you agree with that assessment? Or that description? I mean, I, I can't really say. And I say that because that was the scheme he was in. You know, you can only go by what you see in the scheme he was in. And that's what he was used to, being down in the box, uh, playing, being man-to-man on the tight end. That was, that was his thing. His role might change in Washington. You might see him back deep a little bit more. Like, who, who knows? But... You know, the stigma gets on safeties when they see you down in a box all the time that, oh, he's just a box safety. If you're deep back deep, oh, he's just a free safety. He can't be in a box. He can't hit. Like, so I think he can get rid of that if he wants to, but he's just playing within the scheme. You know, this was a crowded market for safeties, and, and you're still out there as well. The Redskins traded for HaHa Clinton Dix midseason. They gave up a fourth rounder to Green Bay to bring him in. Um, and and the, the, the performance was hit and miss. You know, he's in a new team, new system, the whole thing. Um, and th- there's a debate now among fans as to whether or not they should re-sign him. What, what do you think of Clinton Dix as a safety? I, I, I like HaHa. I like him. I think he's a good player. Um, I, I think they should sign him. You know, um, I it would surprise me if they didn't only because they traded for him. Yeah, no. And, and there's some of that to save face, right? When you, when you give up a, a, a draft choice for a player mid season and he only had yeah. you know, seven or eight games. Yeah. And, and at the same time, like you, it's, it takes a while for teams, well, players to get acclimated to playing in a certain way, playing in a certain defense, learning a whole new regime. You know, you have to turn the terminology on, uh, off now. Everything you learn from the past, you have to turn it off. And you not now you have to switch your mindset. So, I think giving him another year under that, um, another year under the Redskins defense, he'll flourish. Yeah, um, we're talking to Mike Adams. Mike's had a 15-year NFL career, played in Carolina, the last two years with the Panthers and. Um, I've known Mike for a while. He interned at the station a few years ago, and and he's he's really he's a really good player and and really smart uh, and a leader and can communicate and all all the stuff that goes with with somebody who ends up having a 15 year career. Um, you know the the other safeties out there. I mean, Honey Badger ends up 
you know, uh, going to, to Kansas City. I was surprised a little bit on Weddle. The, the defense that Baltimore had last year was one of the better defenses I think the NFL's seen in a few years. And I was surprised that that he ended up that Baltimore turned him loose. He ends up in Los An- uh, in Los Angeles with the Rams. Did that surprise you? It surprised me more that Baltimore let him go. Yeah, and, and it's and it's crazy because you know coaches and, and GMs they they say oh he's a great leader he's he's um he, he works hard great locker room guy everybody follow him and then they just let him go. <laughs> I just found that I just found that crazy. But he's a he's a great player. I, I like Weddle. Me and me and Weddle go go back in the day when when I was in Denver and he was in uh he was with the Chargers at the time. But um I'm glad he got picked up as quick as he did, and um now he can just settle in, get his fans settled now because he's back in back outside um in Southern Cal. But um yeah he's. He's a good player, and it just surprised me. The only thing that surprised me that Baltimore let him go. So what do you do during this time? I mean, the actual free agency period starts now. How many times a day do, does your agent call? Do you call your agent? How, how do these days work for you? Because you've been in this position a few times during your career. Yeah, I, I just I, I literally stay out the way, and I just wait my turn. You know, I'm, I'm just patient. I don't want my agent calling me telling me labor pain i need to see the baby you know <laughs> right like I, I just watch and see what guys do <laughs> I also i just watch see what guys do see what guys get you know um things like that you know and i, and I just stay focused on me because that's the only thing i can control and whether i get picked up in june tomorrow tonight it doesn't matter my um my mindset won't change the way i approach the game and, and what i bring to the game um so I, I don't I don't get nervous or anything. I'm I'm content with my career. You know, I always want more, you know. Um but you know, it, if things don't work out that way, God have another plan, uh so be it. But right now my mindset is on playing ball for this twenty nineteen season. You don't want your guy calling you saying, Yeah, I'm talking to the Chargers, I'm talking to the, the Redskins, the Giants. You, no. you just want here's the offer. We got the offer. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Um, look. Exactly. No labor pain. Show me the baby. <laughs> You've had a hell of a run, man. Seriously, it's tough to play 15 years in that league, um, especially from where you you came from, out of Delaware as an undrafted free agent back in 2004. Uh, was your rookie year in the NFL, and you've had you've been on some really good teams. You had two Pro Bowl seasons in Indianapolis, you know, and you were in your 30s then. Um, you know, I think in your early 30s when you had those two Pro Bowl seasons. But uh, I wish you the best of luck. Um, if I would imagine that if it if it doesn't work out, that you've got a, either a career in broadcasting or coaching, right? Well, I would I would assume that one of those two things would be the the thing that you'd want to pursue. I, I would. I, matter of fact, I, I am. I'm, I'm keeping doors open that way. Uh, I've been doing that. I've been keeping those doors open for a long time since what my sixth year in the league. You know, I did an internship with you guys. So, yep. Um, I, I like doing. It. I enjoy talking about ball, but you know, um, right now I just want to play. All right. <laughs> well, good luck with it. Thanks for spending a few minutes with us, and I really appreciate it. And wish you the best of luck as always. No doubt, Kev. Thanks for having me on. Thanks to Mike Adams for 
uh, sharing some of his thoughts uh, here on the podcast. If you're looking for new office space and you live in Bethesda, consider Launch Workplaces. LaunchWorkplaces.com for all your information. But they've got brand new, fully furnished offices in Bethesda with conference rooms and co-working desks, high-speed internet, complimentary drinks, a cafe, free parking, and 24-7 access. It's a great place to get work done if it's difficult to get work done from home. Uh, now, they don't just have the Bethesda location. You can see all of their locations at launchworkplaces.com. But if you call today, 240-800-6714, that's 240-800-6714, you'll get a free two-day trial. Uh, just mention my name, 240-800-6714, and you can get an exclusive an exclusive free two-day trial at Launch Workplaces. Great space in Bethesda if you live in that area, but they've got locations throughout the area, launchworkplaces.com. All right, let's bring in uh, the voice of the Washington Capitals on NBC Sports Washington, Joe Beninati. Um, the Caps uh, jumped out to a 2-0 lead last night on two um, Verona goals, and then uh, they gave up uh, three at the end of the second period in a short period of time. They lose to the Pens 5-3. to Want to get into where they are as a team right now because they've been red hot until last night, and they, they look good to start, uh, Joe. But just real quickly, can you explain um, and, and, and give the significance of the embrace last night between Sidney Crosby and Ovechkin at the end of that game? Yeah, I, I'm glad we caught it, Kevin, because um, it, it, was, it was quick. And it was at the end of a heated game, and there was there were some other you know tempers flaring elsewhere. But um, we did manage to catch that shot, and it, it's you know two guys who battled for 14 seasons, and, and I'm sure have gone through a lot of uh, emotion against each other. Uh, I know that there is an amazing amount of respect between the two. I think that's what you saw last night. They have been bitter, bitter rivals on two teams that, at least in Washington's case. You know, Pittsburgh is their arch rival. I think Pittsburgh might tell you that Philly is theirs, but at least on the Washington side, that's, you know, that's public enemy number one in Steeltown. And um, Crosby has caused them an enormous amount of pain with him and his team uh, having the great success that they had. But uh, I think, you know, when they achieve a milestone such as that, uh, 1,200 points for Alex, I, I thought it was great that, um, that Sidney and Alex came together to, to share that. Um, it's a, it's pretty cool when you think about it. I know Crosby's had some injury problems, Kevin. So this stat's going to come across as, as, as due to it, I'm sure in large part, but Alex led Crosby in points for almost seven years. And recently, just recently in the last two weeks, um, Crosby's passed him in terms of career points. So Sid's on the other side of 1200, but it's taken him a while to get there. Uh, I thought it was just an amazing sign of respect between two really titans of the game they are they are phenomenal uh ambassadors for the sport and joe there's no love lost between the two right no i know and that's the thing they, they've shared their you you have also we've shown you the hugs and we've shown you i think in the past a lot of yammering at each other a yep. lot of chirping a lot of barking at each other and um yeah you know everybody will tell you who's played in that rivalry that there's dislike for the other team, you know, and, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go so far as to say hate, but they they don't they don't like each other, they don't like each other on the ice, but that doesn't mean you can't respect each other. And when your game is as good as those two, um, you should respect each other because it's it's otherworldly at times, and they've treated us to some great theater for 14 years, and and hopefully many more. 
Rivalry in sports, um, the great rivalries, I think are one of the you know top three, four, five reasons that we as sports fans really love it. And when you've had a rivalry like this, and I found it interesting that you said that Pittsburgh may view Philadelphia as their chief rival. And you know, for uh, until last year, there was there was potentially a, a good reason for that because you, you know the, the Caps had not gotten through in the postseason against the Penguins, but. After last year and the fact that the Caps went on to win their first Stanley Cup, do you think if you asked a, a, a longtime Pittsburgh Penguins fan, is it the Flyers or the Caps, they would say the Flyers? It's pretty close. It's going to be pretty close just because of the, the, you know, the cross-state rivalry for so long. Um, but it's hard to argue that Washington and Pittsburgh hasn't been the most compelling theater and the most compelling rivalry ever since those two stepped on stage. Right. So I, I completely understand that. I just think long, long, long-time Pittsburgh fans will tell you, mm, Caps rivalry is fantastic, but we really hate Philadelphia. And that's just, a, that's just an interstate thing. But uh, I heard comments from uh, Evgeny Malkin recently where he was emphatic about uh, how much the Washington-Pittsburgh rivalry means and how much Pittsburgh wants that darn Stanley Cup back that the Caps took from them indirectly last year by bouncing them in the second round and then going on to to beat Tampa and beat Vegas for it. Malkin wants it back because the last two years prior, it belonged to Pittsburgh. Those two teams, they've been terrific for a long time, but they've been the league's best at least the last three seasons. So last night, the the Caps are off to a 2-0 lead. They seem to be cruising. They've won seven in a row. This would be a monster win on the road against their rival uh, in a division that's just heated up. I mean, these top four or five spots, I mean, everybody's had their run here in recent weeks. What what changed there in about a three-minute period where uh, the Pens went from down two to up one? The first 30 minutes of that game, Kevin, I don't know that they could have played, the Caps, that is, played much better on the road in a big game in a tough building. No matter that you know you beat them there in Game Six last year and you exercised all those demons, I understand that. But that building is awfully tough to win in for anybody, and 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 that includes the Caps. They played perfectly, I thought, for 30 minutes, and the the turnover by Kuznetsov is going to be the one item that everybody's going to point to as saying that's the turning point. And he was just a little lackadaisical. I haven't had a chance to speak with him. I don't know what he saw or didn't see. But it was a turnover. It was a puck that was gifted to him near the blue line. It looked like an easy clear. And either maybe there was something going on in terms of a line change. Maybe Evgeny had some second thoughts. But in that time leaving the zone, he wasn't really busting it through center ice. McCann rips him off, turns it into a two-on-one with Gensel. Bang. That team, Pittsburgh, just for whatever reason, against the Caps, especially in that building, Kevin, is able to smell blood. And then the Caps get a little scatterbrained and go sideways. And all it takes is a, a minute and 48 seconds. Uh, Pittsburgh's power play, when it's humming, is vaunted. Uh, and, and Crosby gets the lead goal on the power play, and, and you're trailing all of a sudden. I, I really thought the Caps would have, could have, should have won that game last night going away. And it was surprising, since they have been playing so well, that they, that they lost the boil there for whatever it was, one minute and 48 seconds, a little less than two minutes. And in that time, all of a sudden, they became chasers again. And all of a sudden, now all the PPG Paints people are, are fired up, and that becomes that cauldron that's been so tough to win it. 
Yeah, it is interesting about that sport where possession changes so quickly that you can still have a dominant sort of momentum-driven run. And and I've seen it in the postseason before, you know, what you just described. It's one play and then all of a sudden the, the ice is tilted in the other direction, especially, you know, for a team like Pittsburgh at home in a heated environment and a big game. And those three minutes basically told the tale. I mean, they scored twice and then they got on the power play and scored again and it went from being dominated to dominating it, it is it's mind-numbing to me how many times i've seen pittsburgh do it right and i'm not saying that they're the only team that can do it but for some reason maybe it's just because it's them that i noticed and it's not always against the caps they'll do it to other teams too but they have an ability to stack goals and and feast off momentum like few teams in the league uh, they just turn it up and go to a different level, and their opponent all of a sudden sort of goes into this haze. And that's where Washington went for two minutes, and that's all it takes. That's really all it takes. But they have a particular skill set, a tempo. I don't think that they're – I don't know that they're as good this season, especially on the back end without Latang. They'll get Latang back soon. I saw him skating uh, yesterday. But defensively, they're not what they have been back there. Uh, they will get better. I thought Murray was really good, aside from the, I think the, the, the second goal, Verona's second goal was a cheapie. But other than that, Murray's been fantastic. Locker was intimating that maybe he's getting a little tired. They've been playing the heck out of him. But they have to. They, they, you know, the race that you alluded to in the Metro, I mean, look at it. I and mean, what's that word? Parity? I think the parity in the league is greater now than it's ever been. And the Caps can go from first place to wild card in, in two weeks. Yeah. Less than that. Yeah, it's it's incredible. Pittsburgh was a wild card last night. Now they're in third, four points out of first. It just happens that quickly. Yeah, I mean, they're eight points between the Caps and Columbus, first to fifth, just in the division. Um, so they play Philly tomorrow night, and then they get the first of three against Tampa to end the season. Why? Just out of curiosity, why did the schedule work that their first game against Tampa uh, in this season isn't until late in the season and they get them three times over the final ten or so games? I wish I knew. I mean, every year there's something quirky like that, and it just so happens to be that Tampa's the best team in the league going away in the regular season, and you haven't really had the chance to match up, measure up, whatever the expression is. Don't do not overlook Philadelphia because Philadelphia is still in the mix. Yeah, and again, that's another building, Wells Fargo Center. I know the Caps won there just uh, a week ago. I know that, and look, they look beautiful and jumping out to a five nothing advantage. But Philly came on strong there to make it a five three game. So I, I, Philadelphia needs the two tomorrow greatly for them to have any chance. They're they're on the they're on the edge of that wild card. I think I wouldn't go much further, much deeper than them. I think Florida's toast. Philadelphia is still in the mix, and that's another game and another rivalry game with Washington that always seems to bring Philadelphia's blood to the boil. But more specifically to your question with uh, with respect to Tampa, I, I can't wait to see these two teams on the ice. I hope Washington is going to play well because I know Tampa is. They have had no off nights. Kevin, they go a month. They go a month without losing. They've done it twice. I mean, they are scary good. They're drawing comparisons to the to the great regular season team of the, the Red Wings in 95-96 that didn't win a cup, by the way, but did dominate to no end. They are having an extraordinary season. They are deeper than any team that I can think of. 
uh, and they're really good at every position. I can't wait to see them uh, at the end of the week, but it's not fun to have them three times in two weeks, I'll tell you that. I want to circle back to the competitive uh, postseason landscape in the East in a moment, but this seven-game stretch that the Caps were on, um, winning and winning impressively, were just compare the team as it's constructed right now to where they were as a title team uh, last June. Is it better, worse, or the same? Yeah, they're, I think they're made a little bit better by Haglund and Jensen. I think that's that's fair to say. Um, again, I, I love Jay Beagle. I will forever wish that he was still with this team. Uh, Philip Grubauer performed admirably and was dynamite for the six-week spell where Braden's game went sideways last year and, and helped get the Caps all the way through to the playoffs. Ultimately, he started the playoffs, and then Braden obviously finished it so well. But I, I think this roster is even better. Uh, Jensen and Haglin help you in a, a number of different ways, but I guess you can look at the penalty-killing stats first and foremost and see how measurable, measurably better the Caps have been since those two guys have arrived. Uh, Haglin is a big-game player. He just is. It's easy to see why guys in New York loved him, guys in Pittsburgh loved him. He's been warmly received in the Caps dressing room right away, and he's a quality player, and he just gives you a, a speed factor that makes everybody's defense go on high alert. So it's terrific to have him at this time. And I know his experience is going to come and help Washington as the as the playoffs roll around and they go deeper and deeper and the games become that much more important. But in a seven-game win streak that they just had, their defense was really good. And, and that's ultimately, I think, what won them the Stanley Cup last spring. And they can always fall back upon that. It's not It's not fun to play that way in November and December. It's hard. And you just don't want to do it. But you can, and you know where it is. You now have that experience factor that, hey, guys, it's time to put this defensive posture in so that we can get on a run and maybe move up in the Metro and maybe win it again for the fourth straight year. But more importantly, they talk about a foundation that they've laid and adding building blocks to their game. They don't even focus, I don't think, on the result. What they focus upon is making sure they're doing the right things the right way in their scheme those seven games defensively were really good. Braden was tip-top. So that lets you know that it's still there, and they can summon it, I think, whenever they'd like. Last question, and I'll let you run. Um, back to sort of this incredible, you know, competitive landscape in the East where, you know, Tampa's at 110 points. You've already talked about the regular season they're having. Boston's having an, an incredible regular season. But just in the division, in the Metropolitan, Islanders, Pens, Carolina, and I'll throw Columbus in there. Which which is the best first round matchup? Whether it comes, you know, in in the first place versus the wild card, or a two versus a three in the division, which is the team that you think the Caps in a best of seven first round would match up with best? Yeah, it's a great question right about now. And um, if we're considering only Islanders, Carolina, Columbus. Let's put it this way. First off, I think Brindamore, Coach Brindamore in Carolina and Coach Trotz in New York are definitely going to be on my Coach of the Year ballot. I mean, I know they've got two of the three spots. So what they've done is remarkable with their respective teams. The Islanders and Carolina, from an experience factor, I would favor Washington, only because it's going to be somewhat new to those two groups. They both scare me for the same reason. They work their tails off. Their, their work ethics is extraordinary, and so is Columbus. 
I'm not sure what's going on, what's happened in Columbus. All of a sudden, their their offense has has sputtered since they brought in everybody at the deadline. It seemed like they won the trade deadline going away, and it was an all-in sort of move on, right. on guys who may not necessarily be there next fall. Obviously, Columbus would have motivation against Washington. I don't, I, I don't necessarily want them first. I would take Carolina or the Islanders before them, and if I had to choose between those two, I'd probably go Carolina. But there are, you know... Aho, Taravine, and Stahl, Svechnikov, those guys scare me, but I, I think you can punch through against Carolina's D and goaltending. Yeah, I mean, and let's not discount the possibility. I mean, anything, any of these matchups are possible right now with the the, the small difference in, in point totals between the teams, but the Caps and Pens could end up playing uh, in the first round. I was going to say, last night, last night your first round matchup is Washington-Pittsburgh. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's, I mean, congratulations, Stanley Cup champs, ready to go. Here we go. Go and defend the Cup. Here's Pittsburgh. And you know what? Uh, it's just the way it is. And, and it's you, just the way it is. You know what? I, 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 do, I liked when they went back to this where you had – have some of these divisional, you know, matchups in in the first, you know, from way back in the day when it was a divisional format. Right. Um, but I, there is something that you know, if Washington and Pittsburgh play in the first round, we're missing out on on something that could have happened down the road. Although, look, this year, you know, uh, it, with Tampa being the clear runaway number one seed, I mean, it would have happened in the second round regardless. Not the championship. Well, round. and and again, so there's the example. I'm sure the Lightning are talking about it now. Uh, the odds are that they're going to see Boston and Toronto in the second round. Yeah, and I'm sorry that that is that's too rich too soon. If you get Boston or Toronto that early, when you're Tampa Bay having the regular season, there, where's the reward? I, I completely understand why the people who who set the playoff schedule did it. You mentioned one part; they wanted the the geographical rivalries, the familiar rivalries, to get a a possible Washington. Pittsburgh right away or a Washington Philly or a Rangers Islanders or Rangers Philadelphia. I realized that the other thing was out West, they didn't want too much travel right. too soon for teams that had, you know, potentially, well, let's just say Vancouver was coming all the way in the, in the Western conference to Nashville, Nashville let's yeah. say. Yeah. The, you know, the, the travel would be ruthless. So I understand why they did it, but there is just seemingly an, an unfairness to the fact that Tampa or in recent years, Washington or Pittsburgh would have to meet somebody that formidable in the second round. It's tough, but you're going to have to beat everybody anyway if you're going to earn it and win that cup. Well, it's going to be here before we know it. I mean, the, the postseason's right around the corner, and in the East, it's going to be crazy. Um, uh, all of these series will be competitive, at least based on their regular season performances. And and uh, there's the, uh, you know NHL postseason is just awesome to watch. Um, thank you for it's doing this. It's what makes it great. Great for the hockey fan, Kevin. It really is. Exactly. Thanks for doing this, as always, Joe. Uh, and enjoy the game tomorrow night. They're in Philly tomorrow night. And then that huge game, first of three meetings to finish up the season against Tampa on Saturday night. Thanks. Take care. My pleasure, Kevin. Have a great time. Always great to catch up uh, with Joe Beninati. Um, Caps, God, those three Tampa games down the stretch are big games. To play all three of your games against the team uh, that you played last year to get to the Stanley Cup Finals. Uh, and all three of your games against that team are in the final two weeks of the season. Crazy. Crazy scheduling, right? I mean, it's, it's, I guess it's just a quirk in the scheduling. Doesn't make any sense. But that I would have thought, Aaron, that you know a Tampa Caps you know, regular season matchup on national TV sometime earlier would have been in play. 
But they're all three of them here at the end of the season. And that was, you know, that was the series. I mean, they were down three games to two, had to win at home, and then had to go win in Tampa to get to the Stanley Cup Finals, shutting out uh, the Lightning, if you recall, in games six and seven. You didn't recall that. I just reminded you of that. Um, yes. A couple of quick things just to uh, end. Just, just real, well, yeah. real quick before we do have another free agency breaking news here. Uh, Earl Thomas to the Ravens. No Weddle. No Weddle. Earl, Earl Thomas to the Ravens. Yeah. Interesting. I think the Ravens were hopeful of bringing Weddle back, but Weddle got a really good deal to go to Los Angeles. Um, all right. Earl Thomas, four year, $55 million. Wow. Yeah. That's the kind of deal that I thought might be in play. Actually, I thought, I mean, how nuts was I to think that Landon Collins could get done for five for 55? Yeah. Uh, you, you know what? I think all of the guessing when it comes to trade compensation, free agent contracts, it's all off. It always ends up being something well, different. Because the salary hot, cap goes higher and but higher. It, so but it sometimes it's money. lower than you think. It, it's 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 strange the way this period of free agency NFL free agency I think has been a lot of fun to follow I don't think it's ever been as crazy as it's been well especially um, now that teams are with the to trades trade. yeah. yeah the trades have made have been more prominent this year uh than in recent years um a couple of things uh I, I want to do the college scandal uh story um you know Lori Laughlin and Felicity Huffman and you know, CEOs of, of companies. I, I, I want to do that with Tommy though. So we'll, I'll save that. We'll do that tomorrow. Cause I think it's fascinating what parents of privilege and, and of means will do for their kids. And I just, it hurts their kids. Ultimately the two girls that are at Southern Cal with Lori, Lori Laughlin's daughters mm-hmm. who apparently they paid close to a half, uh, close to a half million bucks to get them admitted into Southern Cal. They didn't pay a half a million bucks under the table to get them admitted into Duke or Stanford or Harvard or Yale or MIT. They did it to get them into Southern Cal. And I know Southern Cal is a good school. It's not Stanford. All right. It's not Michigan. It's not Harvard. Uh, but God, those poor girls, the embarrassment of yesterday with their mother being arrested. We'll, we'll do, we'll do that tomorrow. Um, the, uh, the, the Redskins, um, clearing the space today. I just wanted to mention this one thing. Um, Stacy McGee, Zach Brown, as we mentioned earlier, were released today, creates, you know, roughly $8 million in cap savings. You know, they didn't release him over the weekend. They tried to trade Zach Brown. You weren't going to trade Stacy McGee. Um, Mason Foster is still sitting there. I still think there's got to be some sort of restructure news with either Norman or Jordan Reed, I think at some point. But I wonder if these cuts were made today. They didn't have to make them today because they're on the verge of making another deal here. So there could be another deal announced later today, a Redskins deal. If it's a big deal, we'll come back and do an emergency podcast. I think that's what people refer to them as. Um, if it's not a major signing, we'll just do it on tomorrow's show. But know that if it's like a trade for Josh Rosen or it's a massive deal, like at this point, like if they sign Golden Tate later today, we're not going to do an emergency podcast. If they trade for Josh Rosen, later today, or they make a trade to get up into the top three in the draft because they're really interested in Kyler Murray, then we might do something about it. Uh, By the way, on Kyler Murray, he had his pro day today. He didn't measure himself. He didn't have himself measured, right? Uh, He did weight, but not height. Not height. Okay. Conspiracy theorists. Yeah, here we go about the five, ten and a quarter measurement at the combine. Um, 
Also news that the Giants are there and they are meeting with Kyler Murray. So be interesting to see if the Giants' big plan was to stack up picks to move up to a point in the draft where they could select Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray and Saquon Barkley in the same backfield. Be interesting. That'd be fun. That, that's why on the Giant thing, I think we really almost have to be, you can say definitively what in God's name were they doing last year if this was going to be the plan this year. But in terms of the compensation they got back, maybe I'm sticking to this and beating this to death too much. I, I think we got to wait to see what ultimately they get with this compensation and what they're able to do with it. I, look, no one offered more than that. You know, they would have taken more had somebody offered more unless it was a division team, and we haven't heard any reports about that. So, you know, you can say, well, they shouldn't have traded him, but maybe they're trying to to do something much bigger here. Um, Other than that, I think that's it. I mean, all of the big conference tournaments really start to get underway. I guess the ACC started yesterday. The Big Ten starts tonight. Maryland will find out their opponent tonight because Nebraska plays Rutgers. Rutgers had a player... Um, kicked off the team. Did you see that? For I missed this. Uh, I guess he was here illegally in the country, and then, or he was here legally in the country, but then was uh, was accused of a domestic uh, a, a violence situation. Um, he's a he's that big, long, lanky center. Um, oh, uh, Theum. Yeah, that guy. Yeah. Uh, so he's off the team. So. Uh, I think Nebraska's favored tonight, so we'll see who Maryland gets uh, tonight. Uh, I'd love to see a, a Maryland win and then a Wisconsin-Maryland game on Friday afternoon. That would be – at least I want to see that. I don't want to see him out in the first round here. Um, I think that's it, right? Did you have anything else? I got nothing. I got nothing. Uh, thanks to uh, Mike Jones and Mike Adams and Joe Beninati for joining the show uh, today. Uh, enjoyed talking to all three of them. Uh, Thanks to Aaron. Enjoy the day. Back tomorrow with Tommy.